Box Season 3, coming at you like Delta Dental. Together we shine. Coming at you like Delta Airlines. We love to fly and it shows. Coming at you like Chuck Norris in the Delta Force. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We blow them away. I am Rylan Grant. Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, Suicide Jockeys, and now Fa Shung Origins, the other voice in the dark, the horrified voice uh, <laughs> in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... Uh, David Avalone. Uh, man, that's different through headphones. I got to say, go. that's a whole experience through headphones. Uh, caution for all, all ships at sea and people listening at home. Uh, David Avalone, a, a filmmaker, comic book writer, and coffee achiever. <laughs> if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fractions, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Skip One, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. Um, you know, it's funny. I mean, uh, Twitter has been in the, um, you know, in the news uh, for a lot of reasons uh, uh, recently. We don't need to talk too much about those. But, um, you know, I loved entertainment, I think, a lot more before Twitter. You know, like I was, I, I felt a lot better about uh, ironically enjoying Chuck Norris before I knew his politics and his, uh, and his, uh, I don't know, general worth as a human being. <laughs> I, someone got my dad an, a record album when I was a kid, and it was uh, John Wayne talking about his political beliefs on an LP. And that was probably my first time of like, wow, this guy's yeah. a friggin' Nazi. Well, Who yeah. Knew? Who yeah, well, okay, well, good to know. Well, I, a lot of hoopla about the Will Smith slap, right? And yeah. um, and there were a lot of people who sort of came out of the woodwork and they're like, "Wait a minute, guys, that's not even the, um, you know, this is not even the uh, the the craziest thing that happened at the Oscars." Do you remember when, um, uh, you know, it was a, a Native American woman who I I don't even remember who won the Oscar. Sheen Littlefeather uh, yeah. presenting for um, accepting for Marlon Brando for the go. Godfather. Yeah. Yeah, and John Wayne wanted to beat the crap out of her because well, he'd done it so many times fictionally. He did. Yeah. He really wanted to do it in the real and, world. And he had to be forcibly removed from the uh, the theater by six very large uh, security guards. Uh, yeah. Well, and then all of the times that women have been sexually assaulted on the stage while the audience laughed. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. particularly great with Jim Carrey saying this is a horrible thing and how could Will Smith do it? And then everybody ran the video of him. Uh, putting his tongue in Alicia Silverstone's unwilling mouth on live television less than two decades ago. It's like, hey, Jim, remember remember when you were married to an anti-vaxxer and assaulted a teenage girl on stage during the Oscars? That was also great. That was great yeah. television. Yeah, I love it. So, but, uh, yeah. but we digress. <laughs> yes, indeed, we do. <laughs> um, we should, uh, uh, before we bring our guests on, good show today. Let's uh, 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 fit some plugs in, huh? What do you got? Yeah, this is going to air May, let's see. We got, oh, May 18th. So next week, right? No, May 11th. Two weeks from now, uh, um, Elvira in Horrorland number one drops. Nice. It is a fun issue. It is the launch of a new series um, where Elvira will be jumping around the multiverse of movies, visiting the little pocket dimensions that are created every time someone makes a movie. And in the first one, she has to deal with a, let us say, a psycho hotel manager. 
uh, and that's a fun issue. Great art by uh, Sylvia Califano, um, who uh, you might remember from IDW's uh, Star Trek Year Five. Nice. And uh, that, yeah, that'll be in comic book shops within a couple of weeks. Love it. And my latest and greatest, the uh, uh, Wuxia Kung Fu Epic Fa Sheng Origins is available right now via Kickstarter. So, uh, uh, you know, hit the pause button, uh, pop on over to Kickstarter, uh, search Fa Sheng Origins um, and uh, and enjoy uh, from Immortal Studios, who released The Adept from Charlie Stickney and um, uh, The Immortal Swordsman and a bunch of other amazing kind of magical martial warrior stuff in the vein of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's a historical drama. It is a, uh, a, a, a sort of Zen uh, koan uh, uh, wrapped up in a riddle, wrapped up in an enigma, wrapped up in a party in your pants where everyone's invited. Uh, <laughs> With it, a side of fries. Yeah, there you go. Enjoy it. But um, but we're talking too much. Let's uh, let's bring our guest on. Adam Rose, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Adam. <laughs> Adam is just is just giggling now. He had to sit in the uh, the green room for all that. So, <laughs> I, what say you, Adam? I the, well, the intro, the energy was like definitely like ten Red Bulls plus maybe a monster. That was that was excellent. I'm um, I, I'm I'm high on life, baby. Yeah, yeah. ten and Red I gotta Bulls say, and a monster though, I mean, is my favorite low budget horror movie. Actually, it's a great. I, I love this this the idea um, that concept you brought up for Elvira, like you know the multiverse of move pockets for of dimensions for movies that are made. That's so cool. I, it's I, it really, is. I'm surprised it hadn't occurred to me before, but it basically. At, at its heart, the Elvira comics are always essentially just Mad Magazine, because that's a thing that I grew up with. And, sure. you know, there there's always an element of movie satire and movie parody to it. So this is just sort of the direct hit to have her stumbling around in the plot of Psycho. Well, and then I mean, the there's Shining something in the collective consciousness right now. I mean, I think multiple dimensions are happening we're, we're, I mean, it's it's there's something that everyone's needing that desperately for right now. Otherwise, it, I mean, so you've created that. There's, I mean, obviously uh, everything everywhere at once, which I just saw yep. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Sure, Doctor Strange. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, but but if you go to um, uh, Suicide Jockeys, that that became one of the primary sort of bents of Suicide Jockeys was yes. that was that we are living in the worst timeline. <laughs> Yeah, there are other timelines. There's uh, a lot of proof of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and the the only possible explanation is that somebody went back to 1997 and changed something that that uh, you know that that got us here, and we have to go back and and, and fix that. Um, uh, the one thing I changed uh, was that there are kaiju monsters coming up out of the water and attacking cities, and. That bit didn't seem any more ridiculous than the other ten things that are actually happening in our world that were featured in the comic books. So, oh yeah, well, and you know the the natural thing, the multiverse idea enters comic books as a way to satisfy middle aged fans. Like from the beginning, it's is it Julie Schwartz? I can't remember who it is, but uh, you know, so Mark Groenwald. I can't remember which writer it is, but someone goes. Well, everybody loved Superman in the 1930s, and Superman is clearly no longer the guy who was from the 1930s. How do we have that Superman and this? And of course, the first comic is the very famous Flash of Two Worlds. And it's just a way to get Jay Garrick in a Barry Allen comic yeah. book. And that's 
it all comes from that. And I love the fact that sort of everyone, Star Wars hasn't quite done it yet. Star Wars is still clinging to the, we have one timeline, fuckers. We don't do time travel in this franchise. So we don't do branching realities. We, you know, this is all very, but every mm. other franchise is like, you know, Star Trek in 2005 went, well, we can do another Star Trek where Shatner's yeah. a little, Shatner's a little thinner and uh, Spock's a little taller and he's in yeah, love with Laura. Brilliant move, by the way. I mean, you're, oh, you're, the, the, you're, 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 not, you're not bastardizing anything. And then you can do, you know, it's in the spirit of Star Trek, right? You can do, you can do these plays that, that are, you, 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 you treat the material from the past in a different way. And it's filtered through the lens of today's culture and, sure. and what we know and what we don't know and, and all of these things. And um, yeah, I thought that was pretty brilliant. You know, you and, see these different takes and they, and they don't always land, but like, yeah, it, you know, it's, it, it's like, uh, it's like watch, watching a, a motocross jumper or something like that, who doesn't quite land the trick sometimes. Right. It's like, well, mm -hmm. Wow, that was that was incredible! Like yeah. I could never in a million years attempt that. Uh, that that was a that was a high wire act, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad I watched you. You know, faceplant on the dirt, but but, uh, but the way that it allows you to have multiple continuities and new continuities, and to you know, yeah. just kind of move on, move right along. I mean, it was surprisingly emotional. I, you, I imagine you both saw the last Spider Man. Spider-Man movie. And just like, even in an off-screen sense, I didn't see the two Andrew Garfield movies. They looked frankly terrible. Yeah. But I but even with that being true, I kind of felt like Andrew Garfield himself is a nice guy who got a shitty deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was, he was so wildly likable, wasn't he? That, yeah, that, that, he was, was likable and he was great, yeah. but he was in yeah. shitty Spider-Man movies that yeah. no one wants to talk about. Yeah. And I kind of it was emotional to me in that goofy movie for them to redeem him and let him essentially in his way save Gwen Stacy, even though it was completely different circumstance. Like just all of the, like the way it went, no, your Spider-Man was valid. Toby's, all of these are valid. That's yeah. it's all, you all worked really hard on these and we shouldn't just throw you in a dumpster and pretend your movies never happened. Yeah. I thought that was an incredibly sweet thing for a franchise, for a gigantic thing to do, it's like no, no, no. You're, you're, you get to stand on stage with the Marvel superheroes too. You're not discarded. You're not forgotten. You're not the lost man of the, you know, incredibly successful thing. Yeah. You know, and I, I thought that again. I thought that was really kind tip, of an amazing thing. Tip of the hat to Venom at the end, also. You know, there, 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 yeah. was, there was some, good, there, yeah, there was some good stuff. But Andrew Garfield is really it, my my wife and I. But the first thing we said walking out of the theater was, "Wow, Andrew Garfield was like really likable. Like we, yeah. I, I, I want to spend some time with that guy." And I, I never had that. Uh, we dove right into it, and this is great conversation. Yeah. But Adam has not introduced himself yet, or his book, yeah. or any of that well, stuff. Yeah, I guess tell us yeah. who you are. Right. And what's um, what you got going on? Give us I, your so profile. Yes. I, I'm, I'm Adam. Uh, I have a series out right now. Uh, we'll issue. One came out last Wednesday uh, of four there. Yes, thank you. Rylan was kind enough to come by uh, the local store and uh, he, he got a copy. Which and, was the uh, local store, Adam? It's one of four issues monthly through Source Point Press, Corollary, uh -huh. Science Fiction, Fun, and a Galaxy of Twins. If your twin dies, so do you. So why did this person survive? Interesting. Interesting. What was the store? Just uh, to give them a plug. Um, so source point. Oh, the store, comics versus toys. Uh, Ace's store down here in Eagle Rock. He was yeah. uh, 
we had a fun signing last Saturday, and I'm going to be a golden apple uh, on free comic book day uh, next Saturday. So that's that'll be fun. Nice. Right. Adam is a fellow Eagle Rocker, so we're yes. uh, we're we're in the same small town in the middle of a giant city. So, <laughs> so you know, to, to to go back to the beginning, how did how did how was the book born, and how did it end up at Source Point? Um. Okay. So, born in that from a very sweet question from my daughter about four years ago when she was only uh, pushing five years old putting her to bed, she knew that some friends of ours were going to have twins. And she said, well, if the twin gets tickled, will the other one laugh? And oh, I yeah. just took that and went spinning into a different, very hard sci-fi concept kind of galaxy of... Uh, your, your, your daughter went Tomax and Zayn yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's what I was going to say is like, obviously, you know, that's not there was no reinventing of the wheel there with the idea because twins have been, you know, people have been fascinated by what twins feel from each other in all sorts of ways for, you know, as long as we've all been around. So uh, it just went there, but then like as far as it just being this epic sci-fi kind of galaxy uh, hopping situation, I, the characters just kind of informed that I needed this to be a big story. It, it started a little smaller and I found Rob Ahmad, the artist, through another artist who uh, referred me to him and pitched it to him. And he was all in, he, he's out of uh, England. So mm -hmm. we've done all of our communicating uh, remotely. And, you know, he jumped on before the pandemic started because I had the script done then, but um, I guess, you know, we got a lot of like the second, third and fourth issues done during the pandemic. And now when you say the script done, had you, you had one issue done or you had all, Four all, all no, all four are done. Um, okay. it's, it's all it's all done, and yeah, like I said, monthly starting last week. Great. So four issues. Yeah, the, the fourth issue will be out July twentieth ish. So did you uh, did you self finance the first issue before you brought it to self source point, or how did no, you uh, how did you get it off the ground? Uh, yeah, 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 yes. For the well, it started actually as just a. a a five page kind of mini story. Cause I was also looking at the idea of getting it in the hands of um, 2000 AD future shocks mm -hmm. because they do these little in it. Sure. They have to be exactly, maybe it's four pages with a beginning, middle and end. So I just, I, I made like a mini version of it with Rob and then I started sending it out and then I wanted to just not wait around. So yeah, I financed the first issue Got got in touch. I, I, I've been already talking to SourcePoint over the years. I had another pitch, a couple other things that I you know been working on, and they were interested in. And then this was the one, like the well, we could work on this other thing that I had or this. You pick which one. We really like this one, and so there it, there it went. Sure. Well, and I you know it it it's impossible not to notice that publishers will always prefer the pitch that has beautiful finished artwork. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not a mystery. Oh, why did you like that pitch? I sent you eight pitches and this one had an eight page beautiful thing. And this is the one you liked. How weird. Yeah. Um, so, well, uh, and the other thing that we gambled on with this, which was, um, I think I'm very happy with, but it definitely felt like a gamble because I just haven't seen it done is we, uh, Rob, when he started it, uh, when he started coloring, he's like, Hey, I wanted to experiment with the uh, watercolors by hand. Mm -hmm. And it, my first thought was, oh, yeah, maybe we'll do that for like certain emotional tones for like a pager here. If someone's like in a deep brooding moment or something or, or just indicate 
uh, a moment of intense action, but otherwise we won't. But then we just, it, it looked great. So we, yeah. it, the whole, and it kind of, the palette that he used for that, the softer tones kind of also, not only does it have a sci-fi edge, it has like this fantasy thing going on too, mm -hmm. because of that coloring, I think. So it's been a lot of fun to see the reactions to people like not being used to seeing an entire series yeah. or issue, I guess, issue one, yeah. hand watercolor. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it, it is great. Um, I think a lot of people get into this and don't think about, you know, they think a comic looks just one way. Right. And feels just one way and is produced just one way. And man, if you have an artist willing to do something like watercolor every single page, dang. Well, full you know. disclosure. Yeah. He, by the end of the third issue, uh, he was very honest with me. He's like, I'm exhausted. I'm going to die. Yeah. I, <laughs> sure. yeah. Here's this amazing person. Um, and we got we got um, this other person to do the fourth issue digitally, but to ape, to ape hopefully. Sure. And I, I think it did. I was first, I was panicked. I was like, oh, my sure. God. Consistency. We're, I mean, I, Rob, push through. But it worked out. Um, and the fourth, you won't miss a beat as far as yeah. there's a match. So. I, I did a comic once, and I, 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 I won't call out the artist because he's a great guy and he's an amazing talent. But he hand the first issue looked hand painted to me, and I remember thinking, he knows this is a monthly series, right? Because oof, and he lasted less than three issues. He yeah. lasted honestly by the second issue, it was already not the same coloring process, and by the third issue, we needed a new artist because he had burned out so thoroughly. I think he overestimated his ability to put out that many hand painted pages. I was like, right. I, I get it. I mean, I, after seeing the first issue, I wanted to call him up and said, man, don't, don't do this to yourself. You're not going to be able to do 20 pages of this a month for the next year. Right. Um, and that turned out to be the case. And that's, that's that one series never really recovered. We had different artists on every other issue because the scheduling never recovered from that hit. Right. So it's a, it's, it's a part of this that I think no one thinks about that before they start writing a comic book or creating a comic book of what can the artist do? How hard are you going to burn them out? You know, uh, I, there's always also in comics because you can turn them around, you know, an artist can draw 20 pages in 25 days. Uh, most good comic book artists can do that. And, you know, I, I myself can write one pretty fast. You're like, oh, let's just get it out. But the older I get, the more I'm like, let's have four issues in the can before the first issue drops yeah. as much as humanly possible so that the artist is never, so that the artist can do a page a day if that's what they can do. But when the arm starts cramping up and the carpal comes in, they can take a week off if need be and recover and come back yeah. to it. And all also so many of us are working on more than one thing at once, including artists. And I can't, you can't fault them for that. Well, it's but, a, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, burnout is so, is so common and setbacks are so common that there are a lot of publishers now that won't, they won't even solicit issue one until they have, you know, the entire trade, you know? Well, um, and also there's a, I think there's a selective, um, uh, what's, 
what's the world? A, a kind of Soviet forgetting of history when we all talk about how much we love Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. And we're like, you don't actually think those issues came out every month, do you? Like, <laughs> You know, you don't think you don't think those guys met that schedule at all, do you? you? You know, a lot of your beloved favorites were not dropping every month. And when you're a kid, you know, you're reading comics, going, "Wow, we were in the middle of this complicated arc, and now suddenly we're doing a 20-page flashback to five years ago, written by someone else and drawn by someone else. Why is that happening?" <laughs> Uh, well, now you know, kids. It's because uh, you know, it's because John Byrne's arm got tired, and we needed uh, someone to come in and give him a month uh, right. to 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 catch up. And uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I, you know, I love to build in um, having different artists gives you an opportunity to be when you know it's happening. It gives you an opportunity to be experimental, uh, like that series I was talking about, when I heard that the artist was burning out, I was like, well, the first five pages of the next issue are actually a film within the comic. So it's actually okay that that's going to look completely different. Mm -hmm. So right. rather than try to imitate the first guy, no, this is a movie. It doesn't have to look like the comic at all. And then we can go back to the previous artist. But it didn't like it didn't get anyone caught up. It was a, no. after that the you know conceits like that got dropped. But you know, in drawing blood, for example, um, every issue, you know, that's something I co-created with Kevin Eastman, and Kevin, you know, is amazing. But he's not a guy that wants to work on a monthly schedule drawn twenty-two pages. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't. It's not his thing. Uh, it hasn't been for many, many years. And I said, yeah, but I can't, we can't do a Kevin Eastman comic without Kevin Eastman drawing any of it. And the nature of the story was that it takes place on three planes, one of which is objective reality, one of which is memory, and one of which is fantasy. And I was like, well, how about you draw, or Kevin may have had the idea of him doing it, but I was like, how about two, you do the two pages of flashbacks that are gonna be in every issue? And Ben Bishop will draw reality and Troy Little, who was coming off of having done Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I was like, uh, you know, Kevin said, well, there's a guy to draw hallucinations for you. <laughs> the guy who just did, you know, whatever it is, 60 pages, 100 pages of Hunter S. Thompson can probably handle our, our hallucinations and dream sequences. So that gives me a nice built in thing where Ben Bishop doesn't have to do 20 pages a month, you know. It's a maximum of 18, and usually it's a, a couple less than that. So you come up with these ways, but it's also, it is a plastic medium. It can be played with. It doesn't have to be all the same thing. Right. And, you know, watercolors, it reminds me of, uh, is it uh, P. Craig Russell that I'm thinking of? They did a lot of watercolor stuff, uh, you know, moon shadows and all that. You know, comics can look like almost anything and can be beautiful. Uh, when they're not, you know, sharp ink lines and, you know, hard colors and all of that. Well, it was an experiment. Yeah. And I mean, it paid off. And I mean, Rob did do the pencils and inks for the fourth issue. He just right. he just had uh, someone else come in. But yeah, no, it, it's I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's why I just I'm still consuming as many different artists and books that I can get my hands on on a weekly basis if I have the time, just because 
I'm always impressed by what's out there. I mean, one person I've, I've been really getting into, and he does it all himself, uh, Adrian Tomine or Tomini. Oh, sure. Uh, and I'm probably mispronouncing his last name, but I've been like reading a bunch of his collections. He's, I mean, I don't know. He's so innovative and it's, he's like kind of like the Raymond. Well, I'm not the first to say this, but he's like the Raymond Carver of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the humanness that he brings to each page or panels, ridiculous. Um, yeah. But yes, I mean, as far as my experience so far, I mean, I, I had, I mean, I did a book before this, but as, as Ryland pointed out, this is my first uh, monthly series. I, but uh, prior to this, I kind of, had a, a middle grade graphic novel just come out all at once. I mean, it was, a, it was not a single issue thing. And the publisher had wasn't with Diamond. So um, they were actually ironically also out of England called Marcosia. And they so that, you know, that came out very in a very different way. I mean, I got like, yes, Ace at Eagle Rock to carry it. You know, I did the consignment thing here and there. It was on mm-hmm. Amazon. It was at like, you know, some smaller bookstores. But that was a different learning experience compared to what I'm now. And Ryland's been just great about me, like bending his ear uh, constantly in some cases. (laughs) And on Twitter, I just direct message him in a panic sometimes if I'm like overthinking something. And so, yeah, I I feel like I'm learning a lot right now as far as the, um, the, the post production side. I don't know what, what I'd call it here. Like the, well, the cell, well, I'm not, the self-promotion thing, I'm like, I'm not, I don't know how to get the right balance. I guess that's a question and a comment, yeah, yeah. an observation about myself. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, but, but before we go too far, so let's uh, let's let's set the thesis statement here. So, yeah. so again, you know, it is a, a, Adam. It is your this is your first first book in comic shops. You are sort of in the thick of it. Issue one dropped. You, you you did your big uh, lead up promotion. You are now in the thick of okay. Well, how am I promoting issue two and all of these things? And it just struck me while I was talking to you. You know, I've talked to you over time. You know, and and talked to you again in the comic shop. That I mean, a lot of our listeners are, you know, it's it, it it's it, it's two things. I, I mean, we we have kind of old season pros that haven't been in your shoes for a while, and it's really it's really interesting to sort of hear. You know. Well, let's hear from somebody who's who's back there, right? Uh, how has it changed? How has it evolved? How has it gotten worse? Um, all of those things. But I mean, a big chunk of our audience there there would be creators, will be creators, all these things that are going to sometimes very soon go through what you're going through. And so I thought it might be good to hear from you. Um, I mean, one one thing that you already covered um, that was very important for me is you do not have to do this alone, right? Um, there's always somebody or several somebodies who have who have gone through this before you. Um, when uh, when I when I did it, um, uh, there were a lot of people that helped me, and a lot of people whose ears I, I bent uh, uh, over and over again, and sometimes at inappropriate times in the middle of the night or whatever. Um, you know, in a panic, just like you. I, I mean, that's the first thing I'll say is that there will be panic. It will be difficult. There are people uh, that are there to help you. Um, one of my closest allies is friend, was friend of the show, David Pepos, who um, he wasn't, he was about a year ahead of me, um, but he was far enough ahead of me where he was, you know, again, it was all fresh in his mind. He had just done it with the same publisher. Um, and so that helped a lot. And I was sort of, I had just done it with the same publisher uh, uh, in your case also, you know, I, I, I've been doing it for, for, you know, a few uh, years longer than David had at that point. Um, 
but I think that's so important is, is, is don't try to do it alone. Don't try and guess, don't try and find haphazard shit on the internet. Uh, um, go to somebody who, who has done it and who has done it well and who has made mistakes and learn from them and all of those things. Um, and then, you know, this is the most important thing is pay it forward. Um, pe people did it for me. Yep. And, and so I wake up every morning trying to do it for whoever else I can. I would not have made it. I would not be where I am if, 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 if David, if, if, if eight other people didn't show up for me over and over again. And so it is now my duty. It is my responsibility to be here for the Adams when they, they call me and, you know, a year from now, two years from now, whatever, uh, Adam will, will be doing this for someone else. Uh, yep. and I'm not, it, it, it is, it is the best part of this business that, that people do this. They do it enthusiastically. They do it thankfully. Um, and, and, and so, you know, again, uh, Abalone always says, ask not what comics can do for you. Ask what you can do for comics. This yep. is, this is the, the best, greatest, easiest thing you can do, uh, for comics is, you know, somebody who is excited, somebody who is, uh, uh, who has a great book, um, uh, they need a little help, it, it, give it to them. And, and, and here's the thing is like, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll uh, I will need Adam's help uh, two months from now, and Adam will 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 you know graciously and and thankfully return the favor. Um, that is that is how we you know this is a team sport. We mm -hmm. win or we win or we lose together. Adam is now a, a very important part of the team, um, and so become part of the team. You know. Uh, yeah. 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 No, I I couldn't agree with every, I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. So yeah, yeah. I think. I want, I, I, yeah, I want to pay it forward as much as possible. And anyone that, you know, and I feel, I'd feel privileged to give my advice from what I am experiencing right now. So, yeah, I guess that is, you know, like you said, I'm this, I have all these questions and you've yeah. been, you and others have been incredible about helping me out with it um, here and there. And I'm just, it's like that fine line now of um, what is too much, what is like oversaturation, what is like yeah. white noise. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, even past like just the self-promoting part, like what, you know, even in like the more, like the bigger, the big two comics, you always hear about that drop off after the issue number one. So how do you, you know, how do I even know Attrition what is that over. looks like for me at issue two? Yeah. So, right. so, yeah. So, so here's the thing is like, this is a good question. It's like, how much, how much promotion should I do? Um, and you and I talked about this in the comic shop, uh, and um, this is a question that literally everyone has, and and, and it does not go away. I am uh, I am now in the thick of releasing. I don't know, is it my my sixth series or something like that now at this point? And um, and I'm I'm still wrestling with that same question now. <laughs> How much do I do? And I almost have to like go and ask myself. You know, okay, well, well, well here are the things. Um, so every publisher has a ceiling, right? Um, uh, and and you know there will be there will be one outlier. You know, if, if Keanu Reeves comes and does a book for Source Point Press, it's going to sell a lot uh, more than the normal Source Point Press book. Um, when Tony Schiavone does a book for Source Point Press, which actually happened recently, yeah, um, you're going to get a lot of wrestling fans that, that are not really interested in comic books. They're wrestling fans. They're Tony Schiavone fans. So that's going to be the outlier, right? They're going to be, that's, that's going to sell a lot more copies. But your average Joe, uh, my book, your book at source point press, it's, it, it's going to have a ceiling, you know, their, their books sell a certain amount. It's a healthy amount. Um, and, and every publisher is like this, they, 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 they have that. Right. Um, and, and, you know, even if, 
even if it's your fifth book and even if you're a Ringo award-winning creator and you're pretty visible, um, you might get a, a slight bump, but, it, but it's not going to be astronomical. Right. And, and so, so, you know, but you do have to get the word out. You have to do enough, right? Uh, people need to know your book is out there. Your fans in particular need to know your book is out there. So, so you can do it. Um, and so, I mean, my, right off the bat, I mean, I was trying to do everything, you know, it became a full-time job. Okay. I need to do this podcast. And I need to write this interview and I need to contact, I need to send the book out to these hundred people by the end of the week. And, you know, you maybe get two responses, right? Um, so, so there are a couple of things. The first thing is you do a lot of that up front and then you very quickly learn what is worth your time. You know, if you, if you send out books to a hundred people three times, and it's the same three to five people that are responding back. Well, you just cut the fat out, and 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 for for issue three or whatever, you only send it to those three people, right? Um, uh, just 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 make it a. Um, but but here's the thing: is like you have to do enough, and there's a question of what's enough. But um, but making it your full time job is um, you want to make sure you're getting something for the work you're putting in, right? And 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 so the primary story I tell, and maybe I've told the story on the podcast before. Is um it's a uh, 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 you know David Peplos and I um <clears throat> ban, uh, we're we're both at Action Lab. Uh, Banjax came out. Uh, Banjax number one debuted a few months after going to the Chapel number one. Um and uh um you know one of the go to things is like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna call a bunch of comic shops and I'm gonna get them to order this thing. That's that's how I'm gonna boost my orders. That's how I'm gonna boost my sales. Um, David Pepos took, I don't know, a week and a half of his life and he physically called a thousand comic shops. That's no hyperbole. That's no exaggeration. <laughs> he, he, he put his life on hold for a week and a half and only made phone calls to comic shops. And he looked half dead afterwards. Um, and he talked to somebody, he got names, he got email addresses. He followed up with PDFs and, and, and emails. Um, I, I called a grand total of zero comic shops. Um, I, you know, I, I have my two or three comic shops that are local um, that, you know, of course I walked into and I'm like, hey, I, you know, I got a book. I'll come in and sign them, blah, 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 blah. And they ordered. Other than that, no comic shop outreach. Um, uh, and, um, and you know, OK, so it plays out. The orders come in. And I think uh, in the end, I had something like 250 more pre-orders on my number one than did David Pepos, who called a thousand comic shops. <laughs> so. So, and, and, and at the same time, you know, David Pepos was for 10 years, a very important comics journalist. So he knows every journalist. And so while I may, I may, may do a few more interviews than the next guy, uh, um, just because I've been around for a while, um, uh, Pepos does every interview. He probably did three to four times more interviews than I did. Uh, uh, but the orders were the orders, right? Um, and, um, and so it's not, you know, that's, that, that's not dumping on David or anything. I mean, he's, he's brilliant yeah. at what he does. No, it's, it's worth saying that David is a personable, charming guy no, yeah. and was probably great on the phone <laughs> with those store owners. Yeah. It just, that doesn't yeah. ultimately matter to them. No, and that's my point here. Here's the thing. It's like David Pepos is a promotional genius. There's a reason why he's writing Avengers like five years earlier than he should be. Right. Is, is, <laughs> is because he's, he has, you know, one, his work is great, but also he is, he has promoted his way into it. He has made himself known and, and liked and all of that stuff. Um, uh, so, so it's not a criticism of that. It's just simply like, okay, well, we, we all only have so much bandwidth. You, you have a, you have a day job. You have uh, kids that you like to spend time with. You're, you're about to uh, uh, become a, a Kempo white belt. Um, 
and uh, and um, so you have about this. You have a thimble full of time, and how do you spend it, right? Um, uh, and so there are certain things that are not entirely worth your time, and and I think that that's important to kind of get a handle on. Um, talking to people who have been there before that can help. Um, sometimes you only learn by doing and failing and wasting time and all of that stuff. And then four books later, you, you there is this thing inside being like, I got to do more. I got to send out more emails. I got to, and you got to talk yourself down off that ledge. Like this is probably not worth my time. I would rather go play soccer with my daughter. I would, you know, whatever. So. Well, and I guess we, my other question then, so that you just answered a lot of questions I have about what, you know, what I'm doing at this point, but then is what, what's, what's the common deal, like issue to issue, should you be beyond like, yeah, letting people know about, you know, I'm, I'm like just more now aware of what FOC represents and getting that right. word out per issue, but also yeah. do I now before issue two comes, do I like make a hard push to get that reviewed? Or is that not something you do per issue since you did it for the first? It doesn't, I mean, yeah, I guess that's yeah. another kind it's of very, question. In my experience, if I can jump in, I've never seen anyone review a second issue who okay. didn't review the first issue. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that's like that, that's every true. comic. Yeah. If you go to my page on Comic Book Roundup, <laughs> issue one always has 20 reviews or seven reviews or five reviews. And that's slowly, here's yeah. the good news by the fourth issue, the only people still reviewing you are the ones giving you eight, nine, or ten. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, people yeah. stop reading books they don't like. It's, it's, it's yeah. we're there. I say this with all the love in the world for my friends who are in this profession. Yeah. But it's not. It's not like, you know, the the person who reviews comics for Entertainment Weekly is reviewing twelve comics a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, maybe. Uh, there isn't a professional class. There isn't, there are too many comics. If you think about the number of movies that come out every week versus the number of comics that come out every week, even a reviewer that just reviewed every single Marvel comic every week would die of exhaustion Right. 52 weeks later. And I'm not talking, there are sites that review every comic that comes out every week and you get three lines and you get a five star scale. Right. Uh, and usually that's a website with a staff of about five to 10 people reviewing every comic and then just popping those in as capsule reviews. But real in-depth reviews, it's there's just not a lot of people doing it. Uh, or I should say there's there's not a lot of people doing it in that way that you think of like a movie comes out on a Friday, a right. big movie comes out on a Friday and there are 20 movie reviewers who are in major publications who are going to review it, who sway moviegoers to a certain degree. That doesn't exist in comics. Yeah. They're it not, really, really doesn't exist. They're, they're um, not going to move the needle, yeah. Yeah. I mean, reviews help, but I always kind of feel like, the. I mean, in this, this, I always say these are my personal biases and never take anything I say as universal. But for me... There are a couple of reviewers, movie reviewers I trust. It's actually a pretty small number. Um, and I go see a movie based on the participants in the movie and the trailer. People I love can make a movie and put out a terrible trailer and it will. I will have a hard time going, ooh, I think uh, I'll drag myself to this one and hope 
that this director I like and these actors who I admire did a better job than it looked like they did in the trailer. But ultimately, you know, Harrison Ford has made movies that have failed with made, you know, Harrison Ford made a movie with Catherine Bigelow, directed by Catherine Bigelow, co-starring Liam Neeson. It was a giant flop. Because, and, you know, God bless Ford, when you ask him about it, a lot of actors have this way of shitting on projects they've been in because they didn't do well financially. When five minutes before the movie came out, they were telling everyone in the press it was the greatest movie ever made. Ford, it was, I was like, oh, yeah, the audience didn't want to see me in that part. It's a great movie. Yeah. Everyone else is great in it. Audience didn't want to see me with a Russian accent playing a Russian submarine captain. And that's all it takes to make a big, beautiful, great movie and have it fucking tank, tank, tank. George Clooney has made movies that has flop, 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 just because people saw the trailer and went, this isn't Ocean's Eleven. This isn't fun. This is sad. And I don't want sad, beardy George Clooney. I want handsome, be-suited George Clooney having fun with Brad Pitt. Give me that movie again nine times. Handsome, be-suited. And those people are not wrong. That's just what they like. So there's a reason why Batman everything sells through the roof and someone can make the greatest comic ever made and it can come and go without anyone noticing it while every single iteration of Batman, some of which is less than great, will always sell a zillion copies and it's why they yeah. keep doing it. So, you you know, the best thing you can do is make the best comic you can do and try to make it clear to the audience what's great about it and why they should read it. Cool. And uh, the harder that, it, like drawing blood is some of my finest work ever. It's not the highest selling thing I ever did. Uh, partially because it is a premise that is very difficult to boil down into a sentence. And it is very difficult to come up with a cover for an issue of drawing blood that makes an audience go, I want to read this comic about the midlife crisis of a famous comic book creator. <laughs> That's going to be way more fun than people in their underwear punching each other. <laughs> mm, is it though? Is it, it might be better, but is it the thing that you read comic books to get? Mm. I mean, I even did a joke about that. There's one, there's a, a superhero character who shows up occasionally in Elvira character. I created called the soul survivor. And in issue like 11 or 12 of the first run, he's fighting some henchman of a bad guy. And Elvira, in her fourth wall breaking thing, goes like, look, comic books. I know you've been reading this thing for 11 issues. And finally, there's a guy in a cape beating up dudes in turtlenecks. Like, isn't this what you wanted all along? Comic book shit. Here it is. Enjoy. It's only going to last two pages and then we're back yeah. to cheap sex puns. You know, so it's uh, luckily there is an audience for my cheap sex puns and God bless them. But ultimately you have to sort of go like, okay, my sci-fi thing about twins has, there's an audience that's going to be like, wow, that's cool. And there's an audience that's going to be, I, I couldn't care less about that. Yeah. yeah. And he, you're he, never going to get anywhere with the audience that already couldn't care less about it. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I mean, here's my take. I, I mean, you're doing your creator own book. Here's my take on reviews is like, I feel like you need, I mean, Avalonis, Avalonis, you know, 99.9% .9 right. Where it's like anybody that didn't review issue one is probably not going uh, to, to review issue two. Um, you can, um, uh, if you do send it out, 
you send them both issues. Hey, here's, you know, here's, here's issues one and yeah. two, uh, um, you know, and, 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 and then maybe you get another issue one review or something, or maybe they review them both, or maybe they get caught up and, and, and whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I've actually had moronic reviewers somehow find issue three of a four issue arc and just review issue three and be like, right. well, this isn't quite adding up because, you know, like, uh, uh, um, it, 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 and that bothers me. Um, so, so, so there's that, this is what you need out of, uh, out of reviews, in my opinion. Like if you're, you're doing the Kickstarter book, you're doing a book like yours, you need like the one kick-ass home run review that you can keep pointing to on social media. Yep. You know, here's, here's my 10 of 10 review. Here's a guy or a gal that just fucking got it backwards and forwards and has all these great things to say about it. You know, so, so then, th then you're, then you're not, you're not just tweeting a picture of your cover being like, Oh, here's my book. You know, it's about, it's about monsters. You know? um, it is, it is. Do you want to know why this is good? Here's yeah. a guy who's a good reviewer. He's on a good site. Um, and he's going to tell you why this is fucking awesome and why you're going to enjoy it. So, so look at this and you take your pull quote and the pull quotes become very, very uh, important. Um, this is something I learned from Pepos and you'll see it on, on every one of my books is, uh, is so you give me a second. So you, you have your, you know, you have your cover. And you got your, you know, you got your your five or six pull quotes on the back, you know, utterly sensational, delightful, uh, bloody brilliant, emotionally charged and powerful as all get out. You cannot read this and come out of it the same way you went into it. Uh, the most amazingly well done first issue of a series I have ever seen point blank period. So effing good. So somebody is at fucking Barnes and Noble or whatever, and they see this thing and they take it down and they flip through the art and they're like, oh, well, yeah, the art looks pretty cool. There's a lot of action. Let me see. Oh wow! Really? <laughs> you know, right. uh, and, and 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 you know, and then you got him, and then you got him, and and so I have, you know, this is something that 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 David did, and I'm sure David stole it from uh, another smart person, but you know, every single one of my my things, and and then you know, and then you know, over time, you also know who like who, if they like the book, is going to give you like a really juicy yeah. quote, right? And so, um. There's this guy Blake Morgan over at Blake's Buzz who I love, um, yeah, and, Blake, and, Blake. and 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 Blake, you know, Blake loves suicide jockeys, and it wasn't just. I'm not just saying I love him because he he wrote positive reviews. That's part of it, obviously. But but uh, I I've received some 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 very good reviews over my 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 time over my career. I have I have I have read some very well written reviews uh, of my stuff over time. Blake has written probably three of the five best written reviews uh, I've ever read of my own work. Uh, he is like a master. He should be writing comic books or or fucking screenplays or something. He's he's like a savant. Um, and um, and they're just they're entertaining. They're awesome. And so he says, "Suicide Jockeys" is the Marlboro Red smoking result of a drunken, passionate night of love making between Pacific Rim and Power Rangers. It sucked the socks right off my gross feet and made me spontaneously combust in a fiery cloud of awesome. It's fresh. It's epic. It's tragic. If you're not reading this, then you're a big dummy. Yeah. Um, you know, and so there is nothing more valuable, like in your promotional, you know, uh, toolkit than a quote like that. And, you know, again, you got one, two, three, four, you know, there are four, at least there are four that, that, that I could fit on the back cover. I have probably seven or eight of them. Um, and, and, and that becomes awesome. And when I do a Kickstarter, uh, people are buying a new book from me. Right. And it's like, well, here's what I've done before. And here's what people have said about my work. And then you, you, you fire those four quotes about Banjax. You fire the four quotes about suicide jockeys. And people are like, oh, wow, people love these books. So I'm I'm going to love 
this book. And then also, while I'm here on your Kickstarter campaign for your new book, oh, wow, I can also buy Banjax. And I can also buy Suicide Jockeys. Right. You know what I'm this becomes this, this, this promotional machine that, that kind of feeds itself. So there's that. Um, the other the other elements of this, something that you have to be careful and you have to decide how much this bothers you or not, is that um, is that these things don't just go off into the ether and only exist when you point to them. Um, uh, there is a site called Comic Book Roundup. And, uh, and, and all of this stuff is, uh, you know, it is, it is curated, uh, it is put together in one place and every, you know, it's not every review, but most of the reviews that are done, uh, they, they get collected on the site and then they get aggregated and, you know, there was a number assigned to your book. Um, so, so, and a lot of people check it. You know, and so, um, you know, I like to say, oh, um, you know, uh, you know, Suicide Jockeys, the critics are really loving it. It's at a 9.2 now on, on Comic Book Roundup. And it takes like one idiot to to soil that, you know, and, and then that's not a talking point anymore. So you have to be careful who you're sending it to. And yeah. so and, and, and again, so it's like so Banjax is at like an 8.9. And then there's the one idiot who picks up issue three and hasn't read one and two. And he's having a bad day and he's an idiot anyway. And he decides to give it a four because it doesn't make sense to him. Everyone else gave it a nine, uh, uh, you know, and then suddenly, suddenly your, your overall score is knocked down by, and again, to some, that's not going to mean anything to you. Um, but, but, but all I'm saying is like, that stuff's going to be out there. So like, so, 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 so it, there, there was this initial thing where it's like, Oh, I'm going to go to everybody and, and let's, let's let everybody review it and just consider the source. You know what I'm saying? Like some, some I, people. A corollary to that, and I like corollary that I don't know, Ryland, if you ever check this out, because I used to get my first couple of series, particularly, you know, I had that thing of like, I got nines and tens and ones and twos. And yeah. a lot of the ones and twos were like, who is this guy and why is he writing comic books? And why should I ever do <laughs> a comic book by a guy who was making films a couple of years ago? Yeah. But here's the thing that will make you feel better about that one douchebag who gives you a two when everyone else gave you a 10. It was, a four. it was a four, but yeah, yeah. Don't look at the average review, the averages of every famous writer in comic books. They're all going to be lower than yours. Yeah, it's good. It's going to be like a six. Because of the hate yeah. that comes yeah. from people, yeah. like Mark Wade's average, Brian Bendis's average, are not nine or ten. Yeah, yeah, but it, music average. Yeah, well, it, yeah, average. yeah, yeah. It, it's my point is that the comic books review community is fucking Twitter. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's exactly no, it, absolutely, it absolutely is. Exactly and especially so, guys yeah. like Bendis and Wade and Busick yeah. and, you know, Starlin and Chaikin. Yeah. Knives are out for them. If yeah, Brian yeah. Bendis writes a comic and it is not the most brilliant comic anyone has ever read, they won't give it a seven. They'll give yeah. it a three because yeah. they're mad because yeah. they spent their precious five dollars on a Brian Bendis comic and it wasn't alias number one. Yeah. Or, you know, like, it, so they're, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna be mad. So I'm just saying that it's, you yeah. know, the review community, I think within comics, we all sort of know what the, you know, what the, what the good and bad of that is. I, I definitely pay more attention to it sometimes than I should. And on my first few comics, I was kind of like, wow, that thing got slammed. But uh, in the full, but again, like my first comic series, Legendary Vampirella, right there. First issue has like 15 reviews and half of them are terrible. By issue five, it's all raves. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, 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 
Everybody you know, else has given up. <laughs> I, 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 I've talked about all this stuff with, with Charlie Stickney since he became the co-publisher of Scout Comics. He was one of us and had a similar perspective, but now he's a publisher. And 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 so so he's seeing all these people promote and he's responsible for promoting. And um, and then he sees firsthand how things sell and whatnot. And so 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 this is something that came out of a discussion with Charlie between between he and I. Um as a creator, you have it, you have this thing in your head that you're going to move, you're going to move orders a mile. You're going to move public perception by a mile with anything you do, right? A good review and fuck, man, we're going to double our, <laughs> we're going to double our orders. We're going to, and, and, and that never happens is like, you're, this is a game of inches. Um, uh, and a good review might move the conversation a centimeter, right? Uh, what, what, what may what may and can move uh, uh, the conversation a couple of inches, a foot, two feet, um, our 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 podcasts, um, things like this. Um, this is what has worked for me, and this is what Charlie has seen work uh, from from his his vantage point. Is um, you find a very it doesn't even have to be a big community, but if they're enthusiastic, if they're engaged, right? Uh, if they have very real, engaged, enthusiastic fans, they can become your very real, enthusiastic, engaged fans very quickly. Um, you know, one of my favorite shows to go on is Lost in Comics. Um, and and it's for a lot of reasons. One, it's a great show. Two, I love the guys that host it. They're just They're just great guys in general. Um, and we sync up on a lot of things, but, but also like they have, you know, it's not the biggest show in the world. Um, and I've been on the biggest shows in the world. You know, I, I, I go on word balloon that has that, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people that listen to word balloon and it moves, it moves the conversation a centimeter every time I go on, uh, uh I go on lost in comics and I can move it two feet if I do it right. Um, and, and they're and lost in comics, they're insane, enthusiastic fans. You know, I, I went on spent some time with them, let them know who I was, let them know that I appreciated them, found out what they were interested in and made sure that I, that I, that I, I knew that. And then I gave that back to them. Um, and they knew that I was there for them and I was available for them. And when they contacted me on Twitter, I, 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 you know, I, I answered questions till I dropped. I sent them free stuff. I, you know what I'm saying? It's just, these, these people are important to me. They're who I'm making the book for. This is, this right. is why I'm doing this. Right. And so I found my people. And so, so this is what I'm saying is you got to find those people. Um, and so, you know, whenever I do anything, um, you know, they're, they're my first stop and, uh, and they show up when, when I have a Kickstarter, they are a first, they back in the first fucking five minutes. Um, and they don't, they don't just buy an issue. they, they buy a drawing. They, they, uh, you know, they, 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 they come in and and they're, and they're all in and 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 they they you know I mean in that case in terms of your Kickstarter campaign they are moving in a mile, right? Because those first day backers, those big dollar backers, end up being the big thing. So it's like, so so that's my thing is that I think it's like um you know you you got to play a game of small ball you know and 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 you you take your don't if you try and shoot for a mile every time you're going to fall on your face and you're going to be lucky right. to get a centimeter. Um, if, if you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the, I'm gonna play the inch, the two inch, the three inch game, mm -hmm. then you're, and then, then you're going to blink and it's going to be a foot. It's going to be a, 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 two feet. And so those are the things that work. Those are the things that are worth your time. You know, again, like, uh, uh, an hour with the 
2,500 people that follow Lost in Comics uh, is worth infinitely more to me than the whatever, you know, 100,000 people that listen to Word Balloon. Just, yep. just, th there's no question. If, yeah. if, 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 yeah, if, if, you know, I, I would rather spend, you know, w with limited time, I'd rather spend five hours with Lost in Comics than, you know, than a half hour with Word Balloon. But yeah. Yeah. Let, let, I want to address your question about self promotion. Uh, and, but first, you know, just say, I've been very lucky to be partnered with Eastman and to watch him. And he has been giving me a masterclass since 2015 on fans and fan interaction. He is as towering a figure in the history, particularly of indie comics, as you can imagine. He's yeah. the most successful independent publisher of all time. No one will ever, no one has created a comic book in their living room and created a billion dollar franchise about, you know, when George Lucas made Star Wars, 20th Century Fox released it. It wasn't his uncle Quentin putting it in 3000 comic book stores. Uh, or not three, they're printing 3,000 issues to go to local comic book stores. Right. So it's hard to top Kevin. And with all that he's been through to this day, if you watch him on a line with fans and his fans will line up around the corner, he gives everyone as much time as he can possibly give them. And if they want to tell him a 10 minute story about how they saw an episode of the animated show, which he didn't write and maybe just gave a note on, and how it changed their life and made them better people and their kid. He, that's amazing, man. That is awesome. And the trick is that he means it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I did the same thing. Remember, remember, yeah. we, we got my geek. I grew up with the turtles. Huge yep. fan. One of the biggest fans ever. And um, and and we did our we did our podcast with Kevin. And and we made this deal that okay, I'm gonna geek out for the first two minutes, and then we're gonna move on. And we can move on. Yeah. And and, and he was he was so interested and, and and so kind. And it wasn't. It was like, I mean, here's the thing: is like. This is again. This is why you do this, right? I mean, he yeah. was like, it, it, he's he, never gotten over that. He seemed to be getting so much more from the interaction than I did. Where, yeah. where, where, where it was like, I, I mean, look, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm surrounded by the books I've written, and I got my awards up there, and I'm, I'm a professional screenwriter, and like, you're, you're one of the five people who inspired me to do this, and it was mm -hmm. like, it was like I had given him a million dollars. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's. He, he's never forgotten where he came from and he's never forgotten that every single person he meets that wants him to sign something is the reason that he gets to do his dream job every day. And uh, it's the humility of that. I also think, and this is a side note, and I don't think he would say this if you asked him, but he also knows what it's like to meet one of your heroes and have them be a jackass to you from when he started doing conventions and of course, all those people are now like, oh, Kevin, I love Kevin. Kevin's the greatest. But he met some of those people when he was a guy with a one issue of an indie comic and they weren't very nice to him. Right. They didn't let him sit at the cool kids table. There's a story where he literally was not allowed to sit at the cool kids table uh, by a very prominent creator who he was a huge fan of. And he does not want to break anyone's heart like that. Uh, and you should never break anyone. If someone is excited to talk to you about your work, Holy shit, man. Let him let him do it and listen to him. And yeah, I will go on pretty unless someone is comic skate, I will go on any podcast that I am invited on. When I was the second series I ever did was called Twilight Zone the Shadow. And a I you know, I was a dynamite, I was brand new, my books didn't sell terribly well. Uh I went on 
Twitter and I looked for, there are two guys with Twilight Zone podcasts. I did them both. And they were kind of like a guest reaching out to me. That's the craziest thing. Like no one does that. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'll, I want to be on your show and talk about the Twilight Zone. That's great. And even, you know, one of the podcasts was like, well, the format of my show isn't you come on and promote your thing. The format is you come on and we talk about an episode. I was like, great, pick an episode. I will, we can devote five seconds to the fact that I have a comic book, but I will come on and talk. I can't even remember what episode it was. It's a good one. But I was like, yeah, I'll come. I Invite me on a podcast to talk about an episode of the Twilight Zone for an hour. That sounds great. <laughs> if I can just have one sentence to say, oh, my comic, my Twilight Zone comic right. is in shops now. That's it. And I went on Facebook and I went on the Twilight Zone and Shadow fan groups. Right. People have heard me say this before, but the only con I've ever been a guest of honor at was a Doc Savage convention. There is a Doc Savage convention. All because I found the Doc Savage fan group on Facebook and they're great people and the That's organizers great. of it are still good friends of mine and I'm happy I met them and they have a magazine. They published a thing of mine in their magazine. Just a funny. So, you know, step one is appreciate the hell out of the fans and especially in the small ball margins of comic book publishing, 10 more. Co if I go, if, I always say when I'm doing a, a podcast that, you know, and some of the podcasts I do are very small with very small listenerships. I'm like, well, time to sell three more issues of my comic. <laughs> but an hour out of my life to sell three more issues of my comic is actually a pretty good deal. Uh, especially, and I, I can, I can't even really think of a comic podcast where I had a bad time. No, I, I really can't. I can't think of one where I was like, this is unpleasant. I mean, some people are shy and awkward and you kind of have to draw them out. And I always say as a corollary, again, to everything that I say about this. <laughs> I love it. I am an outgoing person. So some of this is easier for me. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's a, a field of introverts. If they weren't introverts, a lot of them would be doing something else, <laughs> you know, that, that was more public facing and involved dealing with 20 people instead of just the three or four that are on your team as a comic book creator. Uh, so, but the self-promotion thing, it's a very hard thing. It's a very hard line to walk. Um, once upon a time, I thought that the idea of fame was vain and stupid and anybody who wanted it was vain and stupid. And uh, I'm friends with an actor named James Urbaniak, who is not super famous, but he's in a lot of independent films. He's the voice of Professor Venture on uh, the Venture Brothers. Tremendous My favorite talent. animated series okay. of all time. So there you are. You're he a was, fan. He, he was just in uh, Better Call Saul. He was, he was just in Better Call Saul. Couple uh, of years he, was, he was great. Yeah. Tremendous guy. Yeah. We made a short, at the time, I think I had like 2,000 Twitter followers and he had 25,000. I made a series of short films with him. We posted the first one on Twitter on uh, on Instagram, on uh, YouTube, but then he posted a link to it on Twitter. And within about two days, it had 30,000 views. And a light bulb went off over my head. Fame is not, I'm, there are definitely people that pursue it because there's a giant hole in their heart where people loving them should be. <laughs> but there's another aspect to it that I think is worth pursuing, which is it's free advertising. It's 
making people, it's, they call them parasocial relationships, but it's making people invest in you and the things that you have created because they like you personally and they admire your work. How do you combine those two? It's very related to, if you have a Twitter feed where every tweet is by my comic, no one is gonna, no one cares, man. That makes a lot of sense. Tell a joke, <laughs> make an observation. Uh, I think people can be too wrapped up in uh, negative criticism. And the older I get, the more I realize everything that I see, even the stuff that I hate and think is really poorly made, is a thing. Even the people that I think are lousy artists, and I mean artists in the global sense, writers, filmmakers, whatever, they're trying real hard, man. They're up against the same bullshit I am. Some of them are up against far less of it, but they're trying. Very few people are doing things and thinking, this is going to suck and I don't care. That doesn't actually exist. No one actually does that. No one makes a bad movie, a bad comic book on purpose. There are degrees of laziness with which we all approach our jobs. That's another thing. But the older I get, the much less likely I am to shit on an artist in public, unless there's someone who is such an unassailable, untouchable emperor with new clothes. Those guys, and they are all guys, I will go after from time <laughs> to time. But someone making a comic, man, they're they're just doing their thing. Point being, talk about the stuff you love. Because if you have someone who's thinking about buying your comic book and you say, man, last night's episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi was fucking awesome. That was so great. That thing with Ewan where he did this, that, and the other thing. Someone who likes science fiction and your book is science fiction is going to go, oh, yeah, I do. I like that, too. What's your comic about, dude? Right. Um, and join in public conversations. I think, you know, people don't – you get followers. Uh, you know, Gail Simone's a great example of someone who uses Twitter very, 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 very well. I'm sure I have followers because Gail said something – I replied to something that she said with something funny. They clicked on my profile and I'm like, oh, this is another comic book creator. And he seems to be friends with Gail. Add. And a month from now, that person may be standing in a comic book shop and go, oh, this is that comic by that guy Gail right. said something nice about that one time. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a shot. That's how, that's how you manage it. That's, and you, and yes, no one wants to see pictures of your lunch every day. <laughs> you know, that's the cliche about Instagram from way back. But the personal touch of a, sl a small window into your life. Okay. It's not a picture of every slice of toast you ever cram in your mouth. It's not a picture of every coffee. But when I go to a coffee shop to write, I take a picture of my coffee cup and my notebook and my pen. And some people respond, oh, my God, what are you working on? I'm excited to see what you do next. And the people who don't know who I am who stumble across that because they know the person who's responding to me, that's the community that you're building. Okay. The stranger that you find is the person who works with the person who reads your comic book. And they've never talked about your comic book, but they reply to a tweet of yours going, oh, hey, what's that thing that you're working on? And they go, oh, what, who's this guy that my friend is following? So 
all that to say, I, you know, I, I that may have been a, a disorganized take on all this stuff, but no, no, it was very informative. I mean, you know, I have, you know, a pretty tiny following, you know, at the moment anyways. So I'm, I'm that's well, why we all, all did this, once, man, that's, you know, that's, this is, I mean, well, you, like you brought up bringing up things that you're into and you all, I actually, one of you said something about it before we were officially on. I just, I have recently discovered Star Trek Discovery. And let mm -hmm. me tell you, I'm an old Trek fan. Like Next Generation's my jam, but I like I like the classic too. Discovery is tickling all the right spots. That's great. I I, I don't know if you and, either. You know, and that's the thing. There are Star Trek fans who are like, it's the worst thing ever, and it violates you know Gene Roddenberry's vision. And I'm like, man, were you not paying attention uh, to the original series? Because it is exactly, you know. Like all of the LGBTQ representation on Discovery, just as an aside, it's like that stuff Roddenberry wanted to do and Berman shut him down on Next Generation. Like that stuff you couldn't get away with in the 60s and no one would let you do it. But that's always been where the franchise, if the franchise was honest and true to its values and being a reflection of American yes. values and how American culture changes a world in which there are gay people on sitcoms and not gay people on star Trek. Yep. Like there was in the nineties is a crazy friggin' world where star yeah. Trek is actually conservative and regressive compared to society instead of liberal and progressive, like it has been since its conception. Well said, but all that said, but my point is say that on Twitter. Right. Right. Say like, that about discovery. He, see, and you I will guess, find people. You will find people in the science fiction community, in the LGBTQ community, in the television fan community, in the science fiction community. Like, there's all these communities, and you, you know, you talked about it. it there are the things that appeal to it about you. It appeals to other people the same way, and you reach out by saying that. And yeah, you, it's funny. And you don't I think have to I, end last... it read my comic. They'll get there. Right. No, I mean, the last pop culture thing I agreed with another, actually a comic book artist. I'm a fan of Tony Gregory. He's like, I love Tokyo Vice. And I said, I do too. Yeah. yeah. I think I lost a few followers after that comic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, 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 the Ansel Elgort is uh, just a big, is a hundred pounds of uncooked hamburger to me. So I have a very hard time looking at him. <laughs> And to turn me off a Michael Mann crime show, man, you got to work hard. Yeah. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm <laughs> you got to work now. hard because I like crime stories, maybe my favorite television show of all time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, speaking of favorite television shows of all time, I rarely do the show with the headphones on. And my resemblance to Stephen Toast right now is really kind of blowing my mind. If you don't know who that is, Google, uh, there's a great television show called Toast of London. Oh, yes. And Matt Berry is the lead. And the funniest sequences in the show are him recording. He's a voiceover actor primarily. Yeah. And the scenes of him in the booth recording are central to the show. And seeing me in the – and he wears black suits all the time. And yes, I can see it. And the mustache. I'm like, nice. yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. <laughs> uh, but uh, – I had to get the catchphrase out while I was looking like this. But anyway, that's that's my uh, that's my evangelizing for. It's not a bad thing to be famous if what being famous is letting people who are who would be your fans know that you exist and that you represent things that they like and that you're interested in things that you like and that you like the people that they like.
that's all that's all self-promotion is and yeah the people who fail at it are the people whose every tweet is a link to an amazon page no and thank you for saying that because that yeah that helps that helps me a lot to hear that i don't know why like it's like something's clicking it's like i'm gonna have to go re-watch this episode with you two and take some it's notes a, like i will say it is a hard thing especially if you have even an ounce of humility <laughs> it takes a minute to get past why the fuck would anybody care about this except me and maybe my yeah. wife? Yeah. I have another podcast called Pulp Today. I absolutely nice. started doing it during the pandemic. And my feeling was that I was doing it to give myself an excuse to shave and put on a jacket and day drink <laughs> and uh, talk about my favorite books. The idea that anyone would tune in to me, by myself, no Ryland, picking up an old Pulp Fiction novel and going, I'm going to read you three pages of James M. Kane right now, and you're just going <laughs> to sit there and fucking listen. And in between, I'm going to take a drink every once in a while. The idea that that would appeal to anyone, honestly, truly honestly, from the bottom of my heart, it never occurred to me. I thought maybe five people would listen to it. And those five people would be listening to it because they were my friends and they would think I would ask them about it. I haven't asked anybody if they listened to it. Um, but, I, you know, 60-some episodes later, I get messages all the time from people I don't know saying, I have a stack of books by the side of my bed and it's all your fault because I got to read all these things you talked about. That's awesome. So, like, part of it is having faith in yourself. And part of it is going, you know what? When Patrick Stewart sits in his garden and reads Shakespeare sonnets, I think that's fun and interesting. Let right. me read my own Shakespeare sonnets. And yep. if nobody cares, nobody cares. Nobody gets hurt. Yep. You know? Anyway. That's I, 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 I am reminded every time uh, you bring up Pulp today that I need to cash in my open invitation <laughs> chips and bring uh, uh, Elmore Leonard and Jack Reacher books into the mix. I, 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 I feel like they've been underrepresented. Or karate kid novelization. Uh, I have all of them. In, I know fact, you do. That's why I mention it. In fact, would Eddie Coyle count as pulp? I just oh, got. Sure. I just got two German ones. Oh, nice. Um, so, so perhaps I could read them and uh, uh, you know traditional. I have a German, German. I have a German edition of Dad's Beneath the Planet of the Apes novelization, nice. and I have a German edition of the Return of the Jedi novelization that a friend of mine brought me back from yeah. a trip to Germany. So I, I really got on a novelization kick recently. Um, I just got new ones in. Nice. Gee, and you're, re you're reading them cover to cover? Adventures of Babysitting. Uh, wow. Get Dave Simpkins on the show sometimes. You'd love him. Drive. Red Heat. Oh, man. Another one of my dads that's missing from that collection of yours? Batman 89. I think I have an extra copy I can give you. Cannonball Run. Oh, yeah, yeah. God, God yeah. Sign me the fuck up. Yeah, I'm yeah. Dad, Dad wrote the novelization of Cannibal Run, and he added something, and they cut it out. And he was so upset that they cut it out. Uh, you know the the running thing in that movie where Roger Moore plays a guy who thinks he's Roger Moore, but really he thinks he's James Bond. They just couldn't get yeah, permission. And <laughs> nice. And uh, he's on the. There's one scene where he meets with his mother, and his mother is played by uh, an old Jewish character actress. Dad wrote a final scene, nice, in the movie where uh, you cut to his mother 
and she's stroking a white cat and she sends a henchman off to kill her son. And the publisher went, that's not in the movie. We can't have that. And dad was like, but it's so funny. (laughs) Pays off the gag. You set up the gag that he has this old mother. How funny is it to end the book with her actually being Blofeld? Like, that's great. They were like, no, we're not going to do it. But anyway, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I was gonna say, I, I, I last thing, I, I think I could, um, I think I would be very happy if I just did that for the rest of my life. Let me, uh, yeah. let me write, you know, novelizations of Cannonball Run, and that's that all. Amazing. He had fun with that stuff. He also, the other one that's in your wheelhouse of, uh, you know, especially '80s stuff is he did Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, it, 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 that was a he had a pen name on that. Am I? Am I? No, that's or, him. Or, no, that's him. Okay, interesting. No, the crazy thing about yeah. that one. Yeah, there's a I, crazy I, I, thing about. There are two novelizations of that movie. Okay. <laughs> the writer director of that movie then did the novelization of four. Okay. Which he also wrote and directed, and he was so kind of pissed off that someone else wrote a novelization. Uh, he went back and re-novelized number three. He just went and did it. God. And it got, and the publisher went, yeah, sure, we'll release it alongside number four. And But it's a crazy ass. I remember once being in a used bookstore and finding Friday the 13th Part 3 written by someone else and going, Ooh, yeah. am I in a, I was, it was a multiverse moment. I'm like, this is a, I'm in a parallel universe where my dad never wrote this book. What the hell is this? And it just turned out there's an alternate novelization of that book. Well, and I got to just say, seeing Adventures of Babysitting just sparked something in me. I don't know if you both feel this way, but when that movie came out, when I saw that movie and when Thor the Mechanic came on, I feel like that was my first like pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I had goosebumps as a kid. Like that is Thor. I'm seeing live action Thor. And then he grew up to be Kingpin. <laughs> That's the craziest part of it all. So, so, right. so, so, I'm looking on eBay right now, Avaloni. This book is is apparently extremely rare. The, the, the this uh, Which one, the, the Avaloni. Yeah, one? yeah. Your your father's Friday the Thirteenth novelization goes for about a hundred bucks. Wow. Well, yeah. if I have an extra one, I'll give it to for, to you for free. Just don't oh, wow. sell it on eBay. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I, I, no, I, 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 I have heard that before that that yeah. one goes for pretty expensive. I was in a bookstore last night and got a copy of uh, his first Nick Carter novel, Run Spy Run. Oh wow! Um, which they <laughs> they used the name Nick Carter, the main character's name, as the author name on the books, which is just great. Interesting. Uh, so Dad only wrote about three of those. But uh, but yeah, no, it's that that novelization did get rare over the years. I yeah. think partially because the fans of that series are the fans of that series and they hold on to stuff. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, the funniest one of his stuff. And then we'll you know, we can wrap up the show. But he wrote the first man from Uncle Book and the and about a half a dozen, if not more, Partridge Family novels. Oh, All wow. of those sold millions of copies. That's cool. And. Sometimes you will see someone trying to get an enormous amount of money for Man from Uncle Number One as a rare out-of-print paperback, and I'm like, literally every Salvation Army in America will sell you that for 25 cents. Yeah. <laughs> that, those books you could paper a bathroom yeah. easily with copies of 90s, uh, Man 90s, from Uncle Number One. Yeah, 90s sports cards. Yeah, yeah, it's not a uh, sports cards. It is whatever yeah. the opposite of go to if you go to like the vintage paperback fair 
in Glendale, like everyone, every dealer has 10 copies of that book because, yeah. you, can't, you know, there, there are too many of them in existence. Um, wow. but anyway, on that goofy note, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Adam. Carl, thank when is February number two drop? Uh, May 18th. Great. So that'll be a week after this show airs, I think. Yeah, next Saturday, I'll be at Golden Apple signing copies of issue one on free comic book day. Right. And there's so an ice cream truck and a hamburger truck. I am very excited. I think this episode is going to go live after that. Oh, okay. Uh, but we, uh, we, we had such a fucking yeah. good time. Those hamburgers were amazing. Yeah, oh, I know. I put ice cream on my hamburger. Yeah, we, yeah. Could, we actually, we could, the other episode that we have in the can isn't time sensitive. So we could actually flip them and do this one next. And then, and then people would be able to see you on free comic book day. Yeah. But we'll, we will discuss off air. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Adam. It Adam. means a lot. You, this has been incredibly educational and entertaining and informative. It was a, it was great having you on, uh, yeah. Ryland. What would you like to tell the kids? Uh, uh, I, I am at, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That's R Y L E N D G R A N T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents sort of drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it, and so now I have to spell it for you. Um, my uh, my work, uh, uh, Suicide Jockeys and the Ringo Award-winning Banjacks and the four-time Ringo-nominated Aberrant are available in fine comic shops everywhere and via uh, Amazon and, I guess, not Comixology anymore because there's not a Comixology, right? right. Um, my Kickstarter comics, uh, the yeah. Astral... Astral Projection Thriller, The Jump, and uh, my Fargo West crime drama, The Peacekeepers, are available via Backerkit right now. If you go to thejump2.backerkit.com, that's the jump one word and the number two, thejump2.backerkit.com, uh, you can pick all that up as well as sign copies of the comic shop stuff and uh, rare con variants and all that good stuff. Um, but most importantly, go to Kickstarter right now. and uh, I'm going today. Back hmm. Fa Chung Origins, um, uh, because it is a badass kung fu ride. You're going to love it. Uh, uh, you're going to get uh, a little love, a little philosophy, a little history, yes. and you know, a nice kick to the teeth. So um, <laughs> one of the best things I've written. I'm very proud of it. Um, and the people at Immortal have, uh, you know, have been awesome and very helpful and have helped bring it to life. Go get it. That's great. Yeah, they're lovely people over there at Immortal. I like them yeah. very much. And um, for me, march down to your comic book store. And while you're picking up uh, Corollary, tell your comic book shop owner to pick up their copy of previews and order everything in it with my name on it. <laughs> it is a lot. It's in the it's in the, the in the current issue. There are three dynamite projects. Savage That's Tales awesome. number one. Hopefully, there will be a number two someday. Um, Elvira and Harland number three. And the trade paperback of Elvira meets Vincent Price, which is a romp and a delight, and you will enjoy it very, very much. Um, I caught the the. I always have titles for things that I can't use because they're ridiculous for the whole series. And that series, the title, the rejected title for me was Raiders of the Lost Schlock, um, <laughs> which I think is the the title of the third issue. The fourth issue is Inglorious Bastet. Because you know Egyptian mythology. I got there a, a little bit before the Moon Knight TV series. Uh, that's it for this exciting episode of The Writer's Block. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.